Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week to this same time to Bible Crossfire. We've been emphasizing the last several weeks a verse, Proverbs 14, verse 12, which says, There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Now, what we should learn from that is just because something seems right to us, even religiously, that doesn't necessarily mean it is right. How do we know what's right? Well, Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The truth is God. Truth, meaning that's what's right religiously, and it's defined by the word of God, according to John 17, 17. Something may seem right to us, but if it's not according to the word of God, it could lead to death, spiritual death. I thought while we were waiting on our first call, we'd talk about a particular topic that I think is throwing a number of believers and churches off track. And it is the subject or the topic of divorce and remarriage. How about let's start by reading Matthew 19, 9. Jesus is speaking here. He says, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. Now, I think that passage is pretty easy to understand. It's pretty clear. Now, in our world today, I would say maybe it's easier said than done because a lot of believers aren't practicing this truth, aren't standing for this truth. Jesus said, if I divorce, I've been married to Carol for 35 years. If she cheats on me sexually with another man, he's saying, you have a right to divorce her for that and you can remarry. But he says, if you divorce her for any other reason, he says, except for fornication, if she doesn't cheat on me, I don't have a right in God's eyes to divorce her. And if I remarry under those conditions, I commit adultery. Even if Carol were to get drunk every Saturday night, that's a sin, a bad sin. It still wouldn't give me the right to divorce her. He says, if you divorce your spouse, except it be for fornication, marry another, you commit adultery. So cheating sexually is the only scriptural cause for divorce. Any other cause for divorce, God does not approve of it. If you remarry, you're committing adultery in that second marriage. Let me ask you a question. Suppose I did divorce Carol for, say, incompatibility, married Betty. Jesus calls that adultery to Betty, adulteress. Meaning every time I sleep with Betty, even though the state of Alabama says I have a right to to be sleep with her, I'm married to her, not Carol anymore. Every time I sleep with Betty, I'm committing adultery in the eyes of God. What would I have to do if I want to repent of that adultery and get forgiveness from God? What would I have to do? And here's what a lot of churches have compromised on in the last 70, 80, or 90 years. You would have to terminate that marriage, quit committing that adultery. That's what repentance means. You're committing the quit, committing the sin, seek reconciliation with Carol. Every church, if you go back 100 years ago, stood for the truth on this, that if you get in the second or third marriage, it's in violation of Matthew 19, 9. It's an adulterous marriage. If you want to do what's right, if you want to be considered a faithful member of our congregation, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to follow, please God, you're going to have to terminate that second or third marriage and seek reconciliation with the original spouse. Every church taught that. Let me notice a quote from a guy named Anthony Dunavant writing in the Orange County, California Register. As you would suspect, being from California, he, he's probably a flaming liberal. He's, he's not in agreement with me on a lot of things. He's, he's not a conservative. He's not even a Christian as far as I know. But he said this. <clears throat> he said, Some conservative groups believe that divorced people 
who marry another spouse are living in sin. Well, that's what we just read in Matthew 19.9. He said some conservative groups believe that. If you marry another spouse, divorce and marry another spouse, you're living in sin. Yeah, you're living in adultery, Matthew 19.9. He says, he goes on to say, however, the number of divorces in the United States has led most denominations away from that teaching. Now, notice he didn't say, we all did a restudy of the Bible. We found out we were wrong that we have to get out of these second or third marriages. That's not what he said. He said the number of divorces in the United States has led most denominations away from that teaching. And he's right. If you go back to 1870, one in 34 marriages ended in divorce. That's not very many. 1900, one in 12. 1940, one in five. 1970s, 40%. And I'm pretty sure now the stats say over 50% of marriages end in divorce. Now, it was easy to stand for the truth on divorce and remarriage. In 1870, when only about a third of the marriages ended in divorce, but now that it's a half, when I say a third, I got that wrong, one in 34 marriages ended in divorce, about 3%. Now it's 50% or more. Well, it's hard for uh, congregations to stand for the truth on this. If you have a Bible question or comment, the lines are wide open. The number to call, 877-655-6755. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment is 877-655-6755. Now, I want to illustrate what I'm teaching here from, uh, we'll call it an Old Testament story or example. It's found in the book of Mark, but it's but what happens here is John the Baptist is confronting Herod and Herodias. This is going on when the Old Testament law is still binding. The Old Testament law was still binding until Jesus died on the cross, Colossians 2. Verse 14 through 17. So the Old Testament law is still binding. According to secular history, Herod has divorced his wife. Herodias has divorced her husband. Now Herod's married to Herodias. And notice what Mark 6, 17 and 18 says. For Herod himself had laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Not lawful for to have her. He didn't just say it wasn't lawful for you to marry her, but it's okay to stay in it. He said it's not lawful for you to have her. Well, in Alabama, we have a law against smoking marijuana and against selling marijuana. But suppose a policeman catches a young man with some marijuana. The young man's going to say, I wasn't planning on smoking it or selling it. Well, duh, what else would you do with it? So they made a third law. It's against the law to possess marijuana in Alabama. Well, so if you're in Alabama, you're a teenager, you have some marijuana, what do you got to do with it if you want to get in compliance with the law of Alabama? Well, you got to get rid of it. It's against the law to possess it. You got to throw it in the garbage or burn it or give it to the police. You can't continue to hold on to it because that's against the law. John the Baptist told Herod, it's not lawful for thee to have the brother's wife. Obviously, he's demanding that he get rid of the wife, that he terminate the marriage. Now, again, this is why the Old Testament law was still in effect, but it illustrates well for us what has to be done if someone finds themselves in a second or third marriage that violates Matthew 19.9. In other words, if you divorced your spouse for any reason other than fornication and you remarry, you're in adultery. Or if your spouse divorces you for any reason and you're in a second marriage, you commit adultery. What do you have to do to get out of that marriage? Well, John the Baptist would say, if he were alive today, it's not lawful for you to have her. You got to terminate that marriage. That's what all churches stood for. That's what they all believed and practiced. If you go back, say, a hundred years ago, let me prove that to you. Now I'm going to give you some quotes 
from the Methodist Creed book. I'm not trying to pick on the Methodist church any more than any other church. It's just that I have some quotes from their Methodist Creed book that show how they changed on this issue through the years. And just about 95% of churches have made the same change that the Methodist church made. Here's the Methodist Creed book in 1896. Here's what it said about this issue. 1896, so we're talking about 100 and, what, 27 years ago. It says, no divorce except for adultery shall be regarded by the church as lawful and no minister shall solemnize, meaning perform the wedding ceremony, pronounce husband and wife. No minister shall solemnize marriage in any case where there is a divorced wife or husband living. But this rule shall not be applied to the innocent party to a divorce for the cause of adultery. So in 1896, sounds like the Methodist church is standing for exactly what Jesus taught. No divorce except for adultery shall be regarded by the church as lawful. And they're saying our ministers won't perform such ceremonies. If a man and a woman present themselves to be married, if one of them has been divorced, we're not going to marry them. They're standing for exactly what Matthew 19.9 said in 1896. Fast forward 18 years to 1914. Same Methodist Creed book. Evidently, they put out changes every year. Ministers shall be prohibited from solemnizing matrimony between divorced persons except innocent parties who have been divorced for the one scriptural cause. Now, I'm pretty sure, even though they don't state what the one scriptural cause is, I'm pretty sure they're saying the same thing as they were saying in 1896. Adultery or fornication, cheating on the spouse is the one scriptural cause. 1914, I think they're still standing solidly for what Jesus said in Matthew 19.9. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call, 877-655-6755, 877-655-6755. Timothy from Tennessee, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Uh, Yes, sir. Uh, What you're saying is correct, but we also have issues like gay marriage, that marriage should be between a man and a woman. We got all this confusion about transgenderism, and uh, God made male and female, period. And so what do you say about these issues? So, Timothy, let me read something that agrees with what you said. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 4 and 5, he says, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Jesus here is quoting from Genesis 2.24, the institution of marriage, the first marriage between Adam and Eve. And he's saying marriage has to be between, be between male and female. So you're right, homosexuality, um, gay marriage is absolutely wrong, Timothy. It's a, they, they call it marriage, but it's unscriptural marriage, just like an adulterous marriage is. If two gay men, Timothy, are married, let's say in the state of Alabama or the state of Tennessee, and they want to repent of that and do what's right, repent of that and be forgiven, can they stay in that gay marriage or do they have to terminate that gay marriage? Absolutely, they have to terminate it. Terminate. So let's suppose a man and a woman are in adulterous marriage, a marriage that Jesus calls adultery, Matthew 19, 9, because it's their second or third 
it's a straight marriage, but it's their second or third marriage, and they didn't terminate the first marriage because they have to terminate. It's exactly right. It's just like a gay marriage. You can't say, I'm sorry. Oh, God, please forgive me for this adultery. But, oh, by the way, I plan to stay in this marriage and continue to commit adultery with my wife, my second wife, every weekend. You can't do that. To repent of it, you have to commit to getting out of it. You have to terminate the marriage. Seek reconciliation with your original spouse. So okay, both I, I, I gay got, marriage and adulterous marriages are unscriptural marriages that God does not approve of. Timothy, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Go ahead. I, I got one more important question. How do you feel about the government going after our kids and saying that they have the right, without the parents' permission, to to uh, doctrinate? them to, to, to believe that they can be wherever they want to be and without the parents' permission do gender surgery without the parents' permission. So I think we're on the same page here, Timothy. Ephesians 6 verse 4 is just one example. It says, And ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So it's the parents' responsibility not the government's responsibility. And if it were the government responsibility, they're doing a terrible job. It's the parents' responsibility toward God to bring up their children. They're responsible to bring up their children, teach them that homosexuality is a sin, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Romans 1, 26 and 27 are both clear New Testament passages proving that any form of homosexuality is a sin. We're responsible. I have four children. It's my responsibility. Carol's responsibility to bring up our children, teach them that gay marriage is wrong. Teach them that this transgenderism thing is wrong. Teach them that adulterous marriage is wrong. We we on the same page here, Timothy? Yeah, sure. I, I got one. Well, I, I got another important question. Okay. How Timothy. do you feel about the sanctification? Oh, well, why do you stand on abortion, killing of innocent babies? Well, if you're killing a person. A baby, wouldn't that be murder, Timothy? Oh, yes, sir, it is murder. So what does the Bible say about murderers? It says in Revelation 21, verse 8, it's it says, an abomination. Fearful, fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and the sexually immoral and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So to murder a live baby it's in and, the womb, in the but it's still alive. It's murder. So that's how I feel about it, Timothy. What God says is that's murder, okay? I agree. And, and now, let me, let me make this clear, though. That, I mean, you can be forgiven for for all the above, but the thing is you have to repent and not yeah. do it no more. Right. There's only one sin. It. There's only one sin that you can't be forgiven for. No, Matthew 12, 31 and 32, you can't be forgiven for the blasphemy so against the Holy Ghost. Holy Any other sin, murder, rape, even homosexuality, you can be forgiven for those sins. But, Timothy, you're exactly right. You have to repent. If you're a drunkard, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10 says drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, Correct. can you go to heaven if you're a drunkard? No. No. But if you quit Maybe drinking, you if you repent of that and quit drinking, you're not you're not a drunkard anymore. You can be forgiven of it if you repent of it and get forgiveness exactly. from God. So you then that verse doesn't condemn you anymore. You can be forgiven for any sin, even homosexuality, even murder, if you repent of it. But if you don't repent of it, 
you won't be forgiven. For example, Proverbs 28, verse 13. Let me see if I can turn over there because I might butcher it if I try to quote it. But Proverbs 28, 13 reads this way. It says, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. Now, that's not talking about prospering financially. That's talking about prospering spiritually. Then it says, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So if you want to have mercy from God, if you want to be forgiven based upon the death of Christ, the blood of shed blood of Christ, you have to confess your sins. You have to forsake them. Another passage. passage. This one's written to Christians. People are already Christians. What if they sin? 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we have to confess. We, he said to Simon the sorcerer in Acts 8, a, man, a Christian who had committed a sin, repent therefore this thy wickedness, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. If you're a Christian, you commit a sin like this, you want to be forgiven, say you're in an adulterous marriage, you're going to have to repent, pray God, confess, and the repentance implies you're committing to changing your life. I'm going to stop that sin. You can't say, I'm going to continue to be a homosexual. God forgive me. Or I'm going to continue to live in an adulterous marriage. God forgive me. You can't do that. Timothy, thanks for your call. I want one more question. Okay, Timothy, go ahead. Why did you stand about Israel uh, as far as them being God's chosen people and God's chosen Man, God's chosen man. What's your stand on that? So, so Exodus 19, when he chose God, Israel, to be his special people, his chosen nation, in Exodus 19, 5, he says, Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Notice this idea of Israel being God's chosen nation was conditional from the very beginning. He says, if you obey my voice, then you will be my chosen nation. Okay? Okay. So we have a okay. parable I, I, in Matthew I, I, I 21. I got a rebuttal for that. If you, understand, if you understand Revelations, I mean, uh, the, the prophets, they declared that nation would, be, would, be, would come back after the rule of the Gentiles Hold on, Timothy. Here's Matthew 21, where there's a parable in the King James. We call it the parable of the householder. And he's talking about the Jews and how the Jews killed the servants or the prophets. And then God finally sent his son and they killed his son. And he says, <clears throat> and they, they killed the son. They killed him. And Jesus says, uh, he asked him, what is the householder going to do who represents God? He says, he will miserably, this is Matthew 21, 41. He, referring to God or in the parable, the householder, the farm owner, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard into other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Then he says in verse 43, therefore say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, taken from the Jews, and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. It says in verse 45, And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parable, they perceived that he spake of them. He spoke of the Jews. The kingdom was going to be taken from them because they kept killing, they kept sinning, going off into sin. God would send prophets to try to correct them. They'd kill the prophets. Finally, he said his son, that's the parable. They killed the son. That's the straw that broke the camel's back. He's going to take the kingdom of God from them. Indeed, we read Matthew 24, 1 through 34, Jesus prophesies or predicts 
the destruction of Jerusalem, which was the, ended up happening according to history, 70 AD, the kingdom was taken from them, given to <clears throat> another nation, which would be Christians. Christ, Christians Christ are God's chosen nation. Timothy, anything else? I got to pretty go off air in just a few minutes. Anything else real quick? I am a firm believer in, in the prophets and, 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 and Jesus Christ. First of all, the Jews did not kill Jesus Christ. Timothy, we I'm going to have to let you go. I'm going to have to let you go. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. So the Jews had, were, had the status of being God's chosen nation, but that was taken from them because they killed the Son of God. According to the Bible, it was conditional all along. If you will obey me, you'll be my chosen nation. They quit obeying God to the extent they finally killed his son. Matthew 21 says that's kingdom will be taken from them, and he did take it from them. Now, Christians are God's chosen nation. Galatians 3 says it doesn't have to do with birth anymore. You are a child of God by faith, Galatians 3, 26. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, verse 27. 26, you're a child of God by faith, not by birth. Doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you're born a descendant of Abraham or Jacob or anything, or whether or not you're circumcised. It's by faith. And the reason is you've been baptized into Christ. Nathaniel from Texas, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hi, uh, I've been listening in on the road, and I just wanted to ask, um, you recently made a comment that uh, if somebody is an alcoholic and they try and repent, but they don't actually turn away from the sin, that that doesn't um, count as salvation and they, they've condemned themselves. And my question was, um, can you have a repentant heart but still be addicted to the sin? I mean, thinking about Paul saying, I do what I do not want to, and I, 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 I do what I ought not. Um, and that can you still have salvation with a repentant heart? even if your body does what you don't want to um, and goes out and continues to sin? Nathaniel, very good question. First, let me read that verse I was referring to, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. It says, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. The New King James there says homosexuals, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. The New King James says sodomites nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. So first of all, Nathaniel, what does that say about drunkards? Inherit the kingdom of God or be saved? I mean, or be lost? Are they going to inherit the it, kingdom of God if they're drunkards? It means that uh, a drunkard would not inherit the kingdom of God. I would ask, um, is a drunkard someone who does the sin and loves the sin or someone who does the sin and hates the sin. Okay. So, Nathaniel, here's what I'm going to say. I understand where you're coming from. The, okay. To repent of drunkenness, you have to 100% commit to quitting the sin. Okay? Yeah. So a person is trying as hard as he can to commit the, to quit the sin, and he's making progress, but nobody lives perfectly. And he may slip up. Okay? But when mm -hmm. he slips up, if he's a Christian and he really wants to do what's right, he's going to repent of that time he slipped up. And gradually, he's going to eliminate that sin completely from his life. Because, mm -hmm. he, because he hates the sin, he wants to quit, he's told God he's going to quit, he's repented of it, he's committed with his whole heart to quit the sin. Now he slips up. He's going to repent of that and get forgiveness, 
And as he keeps doing that, eventually he's going to end up quitting completely. Okay. Does that sound, do you agree with that? You think Nathaniel? I think that's a, I think that's a, a good answer. I, I still, I mean, I think this probably happens with a lot of people where you, you really want to, but you just keep coming back to it. And I'm, I'm thinking of the, the time where it's how many times should I forgive my, my, my brother. And it's 77 as a, as a number that's symbolic of as many times as is necessary. Um, what if somebody, Nathaniel, I'm going to have to let you go. I'm about to have to go off air. I have to let you go. Thank you for your good. Oh, call all right. All right. You. Thank you. So, Here's so here's a person that's really trying to quit a particular sin and he slips up and then he repents and gets forgiveness. That's different from a person that thinks he's going to be saved, even if he never repents, like a person in an adulterous marriage. I'm going to stay in this marriage. I'm going to stay in this adulterous marriage. He's not even trying to quit. He's not repenting. If you would like to have a free one hour phone Bible study with me sometime at your convenience, call or text me at 256-682-9753.